We started a series two weeks ago called uh, Resolutionary, and we've been trying to hit a few topics. Uh, Next week, we end the series talking about resolutionary finances, and it's one of the three topics we're hitting this month in this series, and I'm excited about that because I think like finances, again, is one of those things that when we can see God at work there and when we can work into that part of our lives, it affects uh, other things in our lives. So I'm excited about uh, hitting that topic uh, next week. Last week, we talked about resolutionary faith. And today we hit uh, this idea of relationships. Who've, who's seen the movie Interstellar? Anybody see the movie Interstellar? Kind of an interesting movie, kind of a sci-fi movie. Uh, I just recently saw it, and um, it's an interesting movie because as much as it's about outer space, it's so much about people. There's this pilot, his name is Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey, I think, on that side. And um, he's on this mission, this secret mission he's called to, to confirm new planets in another galaxy to see if there is a planet that can inhabit you know, the next level of the human race. What he doesn't realize is that he, he committed to a mission that would probably never get him home. And as he thinks about that, there's this, this tension that builds and it tears him apart. And he meets this other astronaut on one of these planets uh, played by Matt Damon, who's a doctor there. And as they're talking, as they're dialoguing, this line comes out of the movie. And it says this, even without attachments, that yearning to be with people is powerful. This doctor who says this line has been kind of closed up all by himself on this planet for years. And he's trying to help Cooper detach himself. But in the meantime, he actually heightens his attachment to his friends and family. He says, even without attachments, that yearning to be with people is powerful. That emotion is the foundation of what makes us human. And something I loved about this movie, as much as Interstellar is, is a movie about you know, black holes and wormholes and bending space and all that kind of freaky stuff that goes on, it's ultimately a movie about relationships and that undeniable fact that we are innately made for relationships. When tears pop up in this movie, it's never about finding organic matter. <laughs> it's never about, oh, wow, we got water, or we can, we can like plant a seed and it's going to grow here. It's always about the people that they left behind or the people that they care about. We've been in this series for the last few weeks talking about what it means to be resolutionary. The word resolute means purposeful, uh, determined, unwavering. And I'm sure there's, there's tons of goals that, that you probably have or a few goals that you have for 2016, uh, maybe to grow in knowledge or to grow your career or to become more successful or to experience something. But here's a question today that we want to explore. Do you, do I want to become resolutionary in my relationships? Do you want to become resolutionary in your relationships? Think about that. If we're wired for relationships, if we're wired for relationships, then what do we do with and for those relationships? What do we do? They must matter so much. Think about some questions. Are we considered a good friend to somebody? Are we considered a good friend to somebody? Does someone out there rejoice that you're in their life? Are we, this is a good question, are we the healthy or the unhealthy person in a relationship? 
And I'm not talking about dating relationships or marriage. I'm talking about all relationships, friend relationships, uh, spousal, family, neighborhood relationships. Donald Miller writes a book called Scary Close, and he really like bears his soul on some of the mess ups he's done in his own relationships. And, and then he shares something. He, he quotes this article that states that in the next five years, uh, we will become a conglomerate of the people we hang out with. This article says that in the next five years, we're going to become the, like basically a mix mash of the people we hang out with. And the article goes on to say that relationships were a greater predictor of who we will become than exercise, diet, or media consumption. In other words, who you eat with is more important than what you eat. Now, don't quote me on getting healthy with that line, but this is the reality. If, if, you, if, you, if you eat Doritos with healthy people, it's better than eating salad with unhealthy people. You get it? That's kind of the, the line here. The, the point is that, that, who, that the relationships we build and have and nurture in our lives are so vital. So today we want to talk about resolutionary relationships. But instead of kind of going where this article is going and, and talking about who we are friends with or what kind of friends we should or shouldn't hang out with, which could be important, I want us to consider what kind of friend are we what kind of person are we in the relationships we're in? There's a phrase in the New Testament, and it's this one phrase that comes up so often if you read through the New Testament. Two English words, one another. In Greek, it's one word, but in English, it's two words, one another, sometimes translated each other. This two-word phrase, it comes up a hundred times in our New Testament, 100 times in our New Testament. The usual context is helping Christ followers to live out what it means to be community, um, to, to what, what, what friendship is meant to be like, um, what relationships are, are supposed to look like and experience and feel like through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of his kingdom, through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the, 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 the life and love that he teaches us about. In fact, I would say probably it's founded on Jesus' words in, uh, in John 13, where Jesus tells his disciples, here's a brand new commandment, a new commandment I'm going to give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. And that phrase, one another, was repeated over and over and over again, not only by Jesus, but then through other New Testament writers and ultimately also through Paul. 33% of the time, it talks about unity among people or the body of Christ. 33% of the time, it talks about loving one another, caring for one another. 15% of the time, the phrase is used to talk about humility. How can we have a posture of humility in our relationships? And we talked about that last week. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the podcast and how that posture changes how we approach our life and our practices. But 60% of the time, it's Paul using this word. The Apostle Paul, 60 times in his letters, among the 100 times in the New Testament, uses the phrase one another. In other words, Paul valued relationships. Paul uh, appreciated community. But Paul wasn't always like this. Paul wasn't always a guy who was great at relationships. The first time we meet Paul in the New Testament, he's knocking on uh, Christians' doors and dragging them out of their homes and arresting them and bringing them to prison or possibly death. So Paul wasn't somebody you'd want to be close to. You wouldn't want to be someone you want as your best friend or your close friend or, oh, wow, Paul moved over next door. Great. He, you didn't, he wasn't that kind of guy. He didn't, he didn't live and breathe relationships in a healthy way. Um, you probably wouldn't want to invite him over for Christmas, maybe. He wasn't that great and, and you know, passionate about building friends. But something changed in Paul. Something caused him to shift 
towards um, viewing relationships in such a beautiful way. In Acts chapter 9, we read the story of Paul on a road to Damascus, and he meets Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to Paul and transforms his life. And Paul gives his life to Jesus, trusts Jesus fully, moves away from a religious, political type of centered life to a life that is, is centered on Jesus. And something changes in Paul when he meets Jesus. His heart is changed. His faith is altered. And the way he lives life, the purpose of his life is completely transformed. And you know what else changes along the way? His view of relationships. His view of relationships. Apparently when Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, became a Christian, he said, I didn't just get baptized, I baptized my wallet at the same time. And so it influenced his finances. Well, I think Paul in the same way. When Paul got immersed in the life of Jesus, it wasn't just him who was immersed. He said, my whole view of life, my whole view of people, my whole view of relationships is, is being immersed in the way of Jesus. And so this person who initially was called Saul is now called Paul. And Saul, who used to view people as pawns, now as Paul views people as partners. So the view of people, the view of relationship for Paul, where he used to see people as pawns, let me use them, let me abuse them, now sees people as partners, no longer exerting power over them, but building relationships with them. And so Paul, who meets Jesus, eventually sees people as partners, not pawns. So this one person who would scout out people and um, would kill people for politics and religion is now creating communities of people of faith, hope, and love that would spread into their neighborhoods and their regions. Saul, who would have divided families and divided communities, now writes word, phrases like in Romans 12, love must be sincere. Or in Philippians 2, pursue the interests of others above yourselves. Such a big shift in his view of people, in his view of relationships. I think one of, the, one of the amazing ways we see this in Paul's life is when we check out his circle of friends. And we see this as he writes about people throughout his letters. He names them by name and talks about how important they are to him and, and, and highlights uh, who they are and what they're about and how much he appreciates them. And one of those places that we see this the most of is Romans chapter 16. I love Romans chapter 16. And we're just going to read a few of these pieces together. And as, as Paul comes to the end of this letter, it's, ama- it's pretty amazing because if you read Romans, it's one of the thickest, richest, deepest theological letters in the New Testament. But at the end of it, he just lists his friends. He lists a whole bunch of people that he knows and appreciates and cares for. So listen to this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first to convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews. So he's, he's, he's looking at all his circles, his ethnic circles, his community circles, his faith circles. My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. So they suffered with him. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend. Again, he uses this word phrase, dear friend, four times in Romans 16. My dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Statues. Can someone pronounce that name better than I do? But anyways, 
Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis. There we go. We can say that name. Another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother. And I love this line. His mother who has been a mother to me. You see Paul's circle of relationships? The difference that has come in his life as he's encountered the risen Lord, Jesus, and Jesus is now leading his life and transforming his life. I love it because at the end of Romans, it's like Paul is journaling and writing about his friends and with gratitude. And he lists all these people that have impacted him, cared for him, influenced him, uh, uh, journeyed with him, calling them dear friends. See, Christ changed his view of people. Christ changed his view of people and he began to see the beauty and the holiness and the joy and the value in another human being. Of course, the body of Christ, the church, but all humanity. And so the main idea today that I want us to get at, and we'll unpack it in in different ways, but it's this. Resolutionary relationships start when we have a deeper value for people. When we have a deeper appreciation for people. When we see the deep value in another person and in the relationship that we have with them. So without this, true friendship struggles to flourish. Without this, true relationship or good relationships struggle to flourish to their potential. Whether it's with a friend or a spouse or um, a co-worker or a child or a family member or a neighbor. Here's, Here's the idea. Your relationships will never flourish unless your view of people flourish. Our relationships will never flourish unless our view of people flourish. And that changed in Paul when he discovered Jesus and Jesus started to transform his life. His view of people changed. I like what Eugene Peterson says about friendship. He says, like the sacramental use of water and, and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Water, bread, wine, ordinary things. But when we, when we discover friendship, when we discover healthy relationship, Eugene Peterson says, it takes what's common in the human experience and turns it into something holy. That word holy is set apart, purposeful, beautiful, special. And that's, that's, that's the heartbeat of the gospel that changes our view of people and changes our experience in relationships. And what does it look like? Well, Paul writes 60 times in his letters that word one another and and attaches it to different ways that we express good, healthy friendships and relationships. And so I want to look at just some of them today and, and what do they tell us about relationships? But even more importantly, maybe ask this question because when we ask this next question, I think it's, it, it forces us to think about ourselves. What kind of friend do we want to be? What kind of friend do we want to be to people? What kind of person are we in the relationship? Like, it's, we could easily take, a, take some time and talk about, um, you know, like, uh, what kind of people maybe we should hang out with, uh, what, you know, how we, how we find good friends and all this kind of stuff. But I, I think it's so vital. If we really want to be resolutionary in relationships, that has to start with us. What kind of friend do I want to be? 
So we're going to look at a few ways of what it means to be a friend according to these one another verses and then a few obstacles to friendship. And so as we, we, we unpack this, here's, here's some ways that we read these one another verses. And the first one of what kind of friend do you want to be? Paul would, would say a few things to this. One, he would say, be an affirming friend. Be an affirming friend. In other words, be a friend that affirms the other person in the relationship, that lifts the other person up, that cares for the other person. Here are some verses, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Just listen to them. Paul says, honor one another. Honor one another. The people in your life, how can you give them honor? How can you bless them? How can you value who they are and honor one another? Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be actively kind. Pursue kindness. That's how you affirm someone. Be compassionate towards someone. Discover their needs, uh, where they're struggling. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Thessalonians 5.11, he says, encourage one another. How how many times uh, are we in a relationship where someone discourages us? Well, what if we said, as we grow in resolutionary relationships, we want to be the encourager? As Paul says, encourage one another. Lift each other up. And that says about this next one, Romans 14 or Thessalonians 5 again. Build one another up. That's another way you can say that. Build one another up. As we think about that, as we think about what kind of friend do I want to be? Do you want to be an affirming friend? Do you want to be the friend the person in the relationship that builds the other person up, that encourages the other person. Here's another one. Be a sharing friend. Paul says in verse chapter, uh, Galatians 6.2, he says, carry each other's burdens. In other words, share the struggle with one another. But sharing is not just sharing someone's struggle. Sharing is also sharing what you have with other people. Paul talks about hospitality in his letters, and Peter takes that further. He says, offer hospitality to one another. Again, that word, that phrase. Offer hospitality. In other words, what you have, you offer to other people. So whether it's a home or a meal or time or an evening or a resource or a skill, offer hospitality to one another. Share with one another. Do you want to be the friend, the sharing kind of friend, the sharing person in the relationship that doesn't hold everything to themselves but says, I'm going to share with these friends, these people, this person in my life. Here's another one that Paul talks about a lot. Be the honest friend. Resolutionary relationships are being the honest friend in that relationship. Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, speak truthfully to one another. And how often do we want to hold back? Um, How often do we want to cover up? How often do we want to um, be just this much transparent and not this much or not this much transparent? Paul says, speak truthfully to one another. That, That could look like a few things. It could look like boldness, that when your friend needs to hear the truth... When the person in the relationship, the other person needs to hear the truth, you can be the friend who is truthful. The friend who brings truth to that person. So when, when your friend is, is hitting a detour, instead of remaining silent, and maybe, maybe there's reasons for that at times, but are you going to be the friend that, that speaks truth into their life? When you see they're hitting a brick wall, will you be the friend that speaks truth into their life? When there's a characteristic that you know that's hurting them, that's maybe affecting all their other relationships and maybe even your relationship, maybe their job, maybe their faith and other things, will you be the truthful friend to speak truth into their life? So it could be boldness. It could be about transparency because here's the reality. Intimacy never 
happens without honesty. If, if we're closed, we never allow intimacy to grow. Intimacy doesn't happen without honesty. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other and you will be healed. There's a sense of intimacy, of growth, of, of transformation that happens when honesty takes place with ourselves, with others. Confess your sins to each other. Colossians 3.19, do not lie to one another. That's just about being honest, being a person of integrity, not holding things back. And here's the last one in terms of just a highlight of what, what kind of friend can we be? And we could list like 10, 20, 30 of these, right? But affirming, sharing, um, honest. And here's this last one. What would it be like if we were, we were the praying friend in the relationship, the praying person in the relationship? I love this verse in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul is writing about one of his friends. His friend's name is Epaphras. You can look it up, Colossians 4, verse 12. And, and Paul says this about Epaphras. He's writing to the church in, in Colossae, and he says, hey, remember Epaphras? And he says this about him. He says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. Is that amazing? Remember Epaphras. He's always, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. He's a praying friend. He, he thinks of you and prays for you. He, he considers what you've been going through and he lifts you up before God. He, when he comes and he, he gets on his knees, your name comes out of his mouth before God. He's praying for you. Epaphras is one of those praying friends. He's wrestling in prayer for you. Think about that for a second. If in your relationships, are you the praying friend? Are you the praying spouse? Are you the praying family member, the praying neighbor that will get down and maybe metaphorically or literally on your knees and lift up your friends in prayer? Be the person who wrestles in prayer for another. I have a friend, his name is Glenn, and uh, I, periodically I meet him throughout the year and um, he often asks me, Dave, how can I pray for you? And I know Glenn prays for me, and you know why? Because at the front of his journal, when he opens his journal, he has a list of people that he's asked about what they need prayer for. And I, and I know I'm on that list. So I know that Glenn prays for me. I know that my name, David Manifo, and Franca, Dave's wife, and the family, and something's going on at Westside, and this and that, I know that it's listed there, and I know that he wrestles in prayer for me. So if you have a journal, or a prayer app, or a note on your phone, or something on your fridge, or whatever you want to say, that you would list your friends in your journal and say, I'm going to be praying for this. This came up. I'm going to be praying for them. Can you be like Glenn is to me, to somebody else in your life, being a praying friend? I love that phrase. You've got to read Colossians 4.12 and consider what being an epiphras is for people. So, so a praying friend, a sharing friend, an affirming friend, an honest friend. What kind of friend do we want to be? But there's obstacles to these friendships. There's obstacles to these relationships. And, and sometimes the obstacles are very severe. One of the obstacles is our drive. Gordon McDonald writes a book called Ordering Your Private World. And he talks about eight things that, that our natural drive or our drives, people who have a drive uh, for life, for success, for movement forward, that it often, it often results in. And one of the, the things that a drive, which is not necessarily bad, but results in is busyness. 
People with a drive tend to be busy. And even if they're not busy, they tend to worship their schedule and sometimes offer their schedule to people as a way of showing what they're up to. And Gordon MacDonald talks about how often driven people are too busy for ordinary relationships, for sitting on the couch relationships, for we're, hanging, we're eating a meal slowly relationship, for let's just take a walk and slowly relationships. And, never, and just coming to mind when, you know, we, we've been thinking about how late, early on in, in our marriage and here in DDO, how to connect with neighbors. And my wife would say, why don't we just plan nothing and sit on the porch? See what happens. And uh, part of me loved that and part of me fought with that. Because when you're driven, sometimes you become too busy for ordinary relationships. Because driven people often look for relationships to help their own ambition. Driven people will leverage a relationship and you don't know if you're being used by them or you're really being loved by them. Because at times, someone it becomes a resource to them. And they only build that relationship to build their next step. Sometimes they use their schedule to impress people rather than open up for people. So you, reflect on that. If you use your schedule to impress people, or do you use your schedule to keep open for people? So that can be one of the obstacles. Another one of the obstacles is, is our function, what we do, our labels, what we want to be successful in or what we're successful in. Sometimes that's, that's a block for relationships. That's an obstacle for relationships. Donald Miller in that book, Scary Close, describes this, this moment where a season where his friend said, Donald, Don, you are, you're really like hitting a brick wall. You need to fix, you need to understand like who you are, what your identity is, and what is, is hurting your relationships constantly. So he, Don Miller commits to a whole week at an intense counseling retreat. And so he heads over to some obscure place and hangs out with people he doesn't know and, uh, and walks through sessions, group sessions, individual sessions, and, and he walks through this and, and he, he discovers something. When, when he's in there, when he starts the week, uh, the director lays out this rule, this fundamental rule, and this was the rule. Do not tell anybody what you do. You're not allowed in private conversation or in group sessions to reveal what you do. Don't tell anybody your job. You can only say you're either a plumber or an accountant. So everybody was either a plumber or an accountant for the week. So no one was allowed to do that. And Donald was like, he was, he was wrestling with that because how many of us just feel the need to share what we do and tell people what we do and even use what we do to maybe help make people like us or find us interesting or something like that. And Donald, I mean, he's written some best-selling books and that would be pretty cool around the group session. Well, I've written a book. You can check it out on Amazon. And the reason they did that is the director said, when you reveal who you are, you create a barrier for intimacy. Because all of a sudden, the other person now doesn't see you for who you are, but sees you through your job, through your function, through your success. There was something about that. Because we can use our career and accomplishments to define us and impress people and stop the intimacy. And so Don Miller went through the whole week, and it was a fabulous week. People connected. Intimacy happened. Amazing things took place in his heart and his life. On the last day, you're allowed to say what you do. And he's, he, he, starts, he tells a story that when people started to share what they did, all of a sudden, people started to start looking at them differently, seeing them with different filters, seeing them with different views. Oh, oh that, no way. That's what you do? And someone might feel inferior. That's what you do. Then someone might feel superior. And all of a sudden, our functions become these obstacles 
Now, it doesn't mean you have to be silently go around, don't tell anybody what you do, but you get the idea. The, our function, our labels, our success or desire for success can sometimes be a block. Apparently, Will Ferrell never tries to be funny with his family because he realized, I don't want to use my talent to build into some intimacy with my kids and my wife. It's like, I use this talent for comedy, but I'm not going to use it to build into some intimacy in my home. So I'm not saying to follow Will Ferrell, but he got something there. And the last one might be, I think this sense of, this sounds maybe more negative, but manipulation breaks relationships. And I think there's something in all of us that will fall towards the temptation of manipulating or coercing or trying to leverage a a situation or a conversation for our good, for our benefit, for our growth, for our success. And the worst case scenarios of manipulators is that they end up lonely. Because they might end up successful, but they never experience intimacy. Because they've just used people to get what they want. So they can keep score. They're out to win. They might get what they want, but they never get the relationship. They never get the depth of the relationship. So be mindful of those obstacles. As you're thinking about your years, saying, what kind of friend do I want to become? Let's follow the one another's. Let's, I want to be an admiring friend, a, a prayerful friend, a sharing friend, an honest friend. But also consider the obstacles that stop you from building that relationship with your friend, your neighbor, your spouse, your family member. Now here, here's the good news as we close. The same thing that broke the Apostle Paul's um, unhealthy view of people, the same thing that broke his drive, even though he stayed driven for, the Lord, for God's ministry and mission, but what broke the unhealthy part of his drive, that was the gospel. That was Jesus. As he surrendered his life to Jesus, as he discovered who Jesus was, as he embraced the risen Lord and said, I call you Lord, I invite you to lead my life, and, and, and Jesus began to transform him and fill him with his spirit. Paul started to change, and that same gospel that, that changed Paul, that changed his view of people, his view of relationships, that's what will bring healing to us. The gospel breaks those obstacles and the gospel fuels these one another's by the power of God's spirit. The gospel makes us aware of some of those obstacles. The gospel helps those obstacles be broken in our lives. The gospel changes what what we feel gives us worth in our life. So maybe some of these obstacles, we we actually hold on to them because they give us worth. Our function, our name, our talent, our skills... And it's not that they're bad. God's given them to us. But, but the gospel breaks us down in a way that we don't, we don't have to like have those things give us worth. We can let them be what they are and the gifts that they are, but they don't have to be the thing that gives us complete worth and, and our whole identity. It's when the gospel works in us, we begin, to notice, we begin to notice our need to manipulate, our need to impress. And the gospel breaks that down because as Jesus becomes Lord of our lives and we rely on his victory at the cross, we all of a sudden have worth not in just the things we do or accomplish, but in Jesus' love for us, his accomplishment on the cross for us. And then the gospel begins to grow the love and compassion of Jesus in us. And it changes our view of people and our view of relationships. If we let it, if we let it, so we're going to close here, and I want you to just think about this. 
The gospel leads us to resolutionary relationships if we allow it to, if we move towards it. Now, here, here's my, here's my, here's my um, challenge to you. We're going to close in prayer in a moment, and we're going to take a moment to allow God to work in us and speak. But here's this, this uh, commitment I'm going to ask you to do. So I don't know if you have a piece of paper or a phone or, or do this you know, after the gathering this afternoon to think about this. I want you to consider five people in your life, five people in your life, and um, they could, it could be a friend, a spouse, family member, neighbor, but someone that you would consider you're in relationship with and consider five people in your life and then ask, then, then think about this. Can you commit to say this? I want to become um, resolutionary in my relationships with them. Maybe we'll say it this way if you put the next slide. I will become a resolutionary friend to, and I want you to think about those five people. Again, whether you're just, whether you're friends, whether you're married to them, whether they're in your family or your neighborhood, I will become a resolutionary friend to, I want to become an affirming friend to, I want to become an honest friend to, I want to become a sharing friend to and with. I want to become a prayerful friend for, and think about those people, and, and, and that over the course of this year, it's, listen, it's impossible to do this with 50 people, or 500 people, or even maybe 30 people. But if we could consider at least five people in our lives, which would take us into different circles that we're in and say, I want to be a resolutionary friend to this person. Now, don't tell them. <laughs> don't tell them, okay? Don't tell them you're doing this. Just do it. Just live it. Just express it. Affirm them. Share with them. Pray for them. Be honest with them. Just do it. Don't let them know about your commitment. But, but live it out. And see if over the course of this year, something drastically changes with your relationships because of that. Let's stand as we close in prayer today. And um, I, had a, I had a phone call that um, a friend of mine left me a message. He was going away for Christmas, uh, like out of the country, and he knew he wasn't going to be able to call me at Christmas. So he called me, and I, I wasn't able to answer the phone, so he left me this message. And he just left this really, you know, maybe a minute-long message. Dave, I'm not going to be here for Christmas, but I want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Merry Christmas. And then he started to say a couple of things. Honestly, he lifted me up. He, he said a couple of things about our friendship, about myself as a person and what I've meant to him and, and what he hopes for me in this next season. And, uh, and that, you know, I hope to, I'm going to, I'm going to call you on your birthday, whatever. And all this stuff, I'm telling you that, that message, just that message, just hearing it on my phone demonstrated to me an affirming friend, a sharing friend, a praying friend, an honest friend. And I bet there are, there are people in your life that need to hear you say, I believe in you. I appreciate you. I'd like you over for supper. I'm so grateful for the kind of person you are. I think you're wonderful. I love your jokes. I hate your jokes. Something. You know, just to, to, to speak into their lives and say, I, 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 you know, without telling them, resolve to be a, a resolutionary friend with them by the power of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you that Jesus demonstrated so much of this. And his words back in the Gospels, this new command to love one another as he has loved us, sets 
sets the tone, sets the value, sets the trajectory for the kind of friends we want to be, the kind of people we want to be in the relationships we're in. Thank you for that. And thank you that that, that vision is not something that, that we need to fulfill all by ourselves. But as Paul encountered Jesus, transforming his life and heart, his view of people and relationships, and as your spirit indwelt him and empowered him towards that. And we see the circle of, of, of relationships he has later in his life. God, we thank you that, that you, by the power of, of the gospel, not only change our hearts, not only change the trajectory of our future and in, in eternity, but Lord, through the gospel, you can change the dynamic of our relationships. God, may we be that one another kind of friend to the few people you have placed in our lives and then overflowing into our, into our church community, into our neighborhoods. So we ask you by your grace, by your spirit, um, to help us grow into that, God. Keep us aware too, God, this week, um, this season, just constantly of the obstacles that will come, that will try and place a wedge between being that kind of friend. So we invite you to be at work in us through that, God. We pray this and and commit to this in Christ's name. Amen.